Hello and welcome back to Narso the Lonely Monster Narcissist Escape Tools where I hope today to earn your subscription and hopefully some frequent listening. It's a bit of an intro then, I just walked along a lovely riverbank into a random woods in the middle of Somerset with a beautiful soul, come to do some exploring and, uh, and to sort of ground myself really and our energies and, and see what we can produce in this here podcast. Well, so this cast then is to enable you and only you to fully realise your potential after your energy and essence was sucked from you by the manipulative behaviours and all the shenanigans of a duplicious and often diabolical adult who's literally stuck in the rest of development. Yes, you're a narcissist. You've got to acknowledge at this stage in your hopeful recovery that really as much as you've endured the apparent and perceptive abuses at the hands of a narcissistic type that they themselves have been equally abused as a child. A bit of a pill as that may be to swallow when you're at the angry stage of the grieving process. But maybe really it was subconsciously by terrible adulting from parents who were also in often cyclical and generational abusive dynamics from their own parents, or it was likely highly obvious and really extremely abusive with physical elements thrown in from their parents, or the bizarre one, and often quite worse, is parenting styles of overbearing love, leaving your narcissistic type with a confused understanding truly of what love should and can be. To them really the unconditional version of love is very much akin to you either love me or you hate me, with both ends being in the extreme and very much often against the grain of what real love is and, and can be. And like I've mentioned time and time again, they just will never understand it and that's the saddest thing. So quick disclaimer as usual, I'm not a shrink, a psychologist, a counsellor, hopefully one day I'd like to be. Um, so welcome. And thank you for tuning in. Okay, in today's episode then, we're going to be taking a dive into four distinct areas. As per usual, they're the random questions from Quora that nobody else will answer. So we'll see what we can do. And it's all live. And so, um, yeah, we'll see where it can go. So a lady has asked that, can being in a marriage with a narcissist feel like an extended period of grieving? Because they always threaten to leave you and you always feel heartbroken. Yeah, we'll take a look at the grieving process when involved with a narcissist. Usually it's after the fact, but during it can very much be a very painstaking process. The second question will be, the covert narcissist I was involved with discarded me with zero notice right before I was supposed to have major surgery. Has this happened to anyone else? And right now I can tell you before I even answer that, I can bet my bottom ass that it's happened to just about everyone that's had major surgery that's involved with a narcissist. And then we're gonna move on to, how can you please someone when that someone is so many people? Yes, that's just another quick scant and a quick look into the varying masks that a narcissist wears. And then we're going to finish off the episode with, will a narc tell you that you never knew them when they are discarding you? Top tip here, the answer is yes. They'll always say that. Okay, well there's our four questions we're going to dive into. I'm going to play a quick jingle now and then come right back with the first question. So welcome back, which I always say, even though for you it's been a couple of seconds, but for me it might have been a minute or two, I've made a coffee, gone for a toilet break, um, fallen in a river, who knows. So first question today is, can being in a marriage with a narcissist feel like an extended period of grieving because they always threaten to leave you and you always feel heartbroken? So first of all, really, we need to understand what the seven stages of grief are. And when I read these out to you now, it may, it may make you, and hopefully, should enable you to reflect some on the dynamics you find yourself in with a narcissist 
And these are the stages of grief, remember. The difficulty being that the person that's assaulting your senses, abusing you, isn't actually dead. Um, so it's kind of, there's a few, there's a few twists in the tale with the, with the stages of grief when involved with a narcissistic abuse. And we parlay that into staying in a relational dynamic with them. So the seven stages of grief, if you don't already know, and apologies if I'm teaching you to suck eggs, um, the first one would be the shock and denial, which is kind of like a state of disbelief and numb feelings. Then we have pain and guilt. Then we have anger and bargaining, depression. Then we have an upward turn. Then we can have reconstruction and working through. And then we can have acceptance and hope, which is hopefully the arrival place that we're, that we're aiming for in that particular journey. So breaking those down then when it comes to a narcissist, and first of all, we're going to look at when the narcissist has discarded you or you've been brave enough to discard them and you're out there in the world on your own recovering from those abuses, whether that's from a relational dynamic or familial. So shock and denial. How can that person do that to somebody else? It's a common question asked. Um, and hopefully if you've listened to previous episodes, you'll come to the understanding that these, these humans aren't subhumans at all. They're just humans like the rest of us that had equally abusive and unrewarding childhoods where, where a parent or even two has uh, equally, equally abused them. And they've therefore learned that unconditional love is either you love me or you hate me rather than actually loving unconditionally. So when they discard or we are discarded, the shock and denial, that state of disbelief and numb feelings and if I haven't said this before, it's actually, and this, I need to stress this, these are very, very normal reactions to what is a very, very abnormal situation. Yes, you're going to feel shock. Yes, you're going to be in denial. Um, and the denial part happens with narcissism or narcissistic abuse syndrome, if you like, when it's, it's the hardest thing to explain from the inside outside to the dynamic. And it's even harder to understand from the outside in even with the grandiose types, such as the covert nature of, of the abuses they levy towards you. Because let's face it, guys, they don't know they're doing it. When they are doing it, it's usually when their emotional intelligence is challenged and they're a child in that moment, literally an adult in the rest of development. Pain and guilt. Could I have done better? Could I have done more for this person? Because another truth of dealing with a narcissist is that they'll target people often with codependent traits and that sounds, that sounds bad, and it can be the opposite side of the same trauma coin as narcissism, but it's, it's born from empathy. And that's the big key difference here. And so naturally, you're going to feel pain and guilt, whether in the dynamic or even afterwards. And it usually, well, for me, it, it came in the form of, could I have done more to help this person? And the reality of that is, well, no, no, you couldn't have. Um, it's like a rewiring of the brain. And as openly blunt as this analogy is it is like you confronting a friend who's gay and trying to make them straight well it's just not going to happen is it because it's their construct it's who they are and that's with the narcissist that is their reality that's where how they live their lives okay then anger and bargaining yes yes we're all going to be angry at the narcissistic outbursts and the abuses and that's easy to understand and it's it's not a leap to be angry um and to bargain for peace and harmony and peace and forgiveness, particularly in the dynamic, um, more so afterwards you see the anger. I've referenced this several times where, um, personally I joined several Facebook forum groups where 
good people went to lament, shall we say, their the abuses that were levied toward them, the hand of a narcissist, and it's anger-based, all anger-based. Now, there's a fear factor for me in that, in that the person that goes on these forums, even on Quora, or could be listening to this podcast right now, or, or the YouTube channel, if you're angry towards your narcissist, that's accepted. That is absolutely fine. No one can blame you. You've been abused and you've woken up to it. Anger is one of the, one of the earlier stages. Anger might actually come before um, shock and denial in, in, the, in the phraseology of the grief stages of dealing with a narcissist. But the important thing is, is to move through that anger. And a lot of people don't. And as I say, my fear factor is the people that don't move through that anger and hold the narcissist completely accountable for everything that they've done wrong, well, they will never ever look inward at themselves to see where they could have changed, what traumas are they carrying from their childhood, what enabled the narcissist, what made them so alluring to the narcissist. It's one thing having empathy, but having that codependent traits is really, is really the biggest lure. And staying angry towards them? No siri, you'll just end up with another narcissist. More on that in a second. Depression. Yes, clearly it's very depressing being around a narcissist and being abused by one. Any form of emotional abuse, any form of physical abuse, financial coercion, financial abuse, sexual abuse. It, depression is the thing that, that leads on from it. And if you do feel you are, we'll come into the signs of depression in a second, but if you do feel that you are um, suffering from depression from it, the very best advice I can give you is to talk to a professional because that, that, that shit can literally pile on you. Um, and you'll never come out of the anger and resentment and the bargaining. So, those are the four first factors of the seven stages of grief within the construct of somebody dying. But let's not forget that this narcissist person that's abused you isn't dead. Um, I used to make a joke at this point and say, unless you're lucky enough, but that's not the right thing to say. Um, so, the upward turn, which ties in with reconstruction and working through acceptance and hope. The upward turn is when a lot of people online are sat there um, diminishing, diminishing their own light, shall we say, by diminishing and being angry and rage-like and never moving through that, never letting that go towards a narcissist. The upward turn comes really in the form of acceptance as, uh, as, as much as hope, but more acceptance of what happened to you and why it happened to you. You can't sit there and just be angry with the person that's abused you without really trying to figure out who they are and where they've come from and the ideation of moving through acceptance and hope is actually to get to forgiveness but like i've always said quietly because if you were uh, if you lean into a narcissist and say i forgive you well we're going to be ending up in hoover territory okay so the upward turn is when you can sit and realize who you are it matters not who they are to a degree you have to understand where they've come from let me stress that to get to understand yourself and what makes us, uh, you, susceptible to actually who they are. So, reconstruction and working through. That's much later on really within the framework of dealing with a narcissist. For me, it was, it was 18 months or so of working really hard on self, um, not really going out, isolating myself, going into hermit mode, as they say, and generally, generally working on me. Um, reconstructing who I am, finding my inner child, forgiving my inner child, forgiving my parents for their mistakes if they ever, if I perceive they made any. Um, and these are important tools to, 
to kind of make that make that progress but like always these are all actually individual episodes which i'll probably do on the tube okay and that's youtube not the train line so acceptance and hope acceptance and hope can you accept that you were in matter-of-factly abused can you accept that without being angry towards your abuser can you accept it without feeling guilty that actually it was okay i'd say 90 percent their fault for not understanding love but got to hold their parents accountable and their generational systems of belief and love and wrongdoing maybe going back eons pause that okay so i had to pause there because there was nature nature was happening all around me and i was being distracted um yeah acceptance is is the biggest step Let's not forget that we're just talking here about the seven stages of grief when a beloved person passes on, leaves this mortal coil. But hopefully if that brief snapshot of it resonates with you, you can start now to look into Google, look at the seven stages of grief and, and really fit each stage into your own feelings. Now, I'm saying it from a point of view where I've done that work. And I'm not saying it's an easy journey. I'm not saying it's the, it's the easiest thing for you to undertake, especially if you're stuck at anger. And my own takeaway, my own, my own main point to hopefully for you to take away that I see in abundance across all platforms is the anger stage. Staying angry towards a narcissist when the reality is it's as douchey and as horrendous as they've been to you, their construct isn't really their fault. It's from, it's from bad parenting. It's from the, it's the, I mean, how many times, if, you've, if you're a regular listener to this, have you heard me say the chocolate store analogy or the, the candy shop analogy? Um, I'm not going to repeat it again, but if that, if that resonated with you at all or stuck in there somewhere, that's, that's your start point to move through that process um, and hopefully come out the other side. Okay, going to move on in a second. I'll say that was a quick 10 minute flash into it, but you know my methods. I'll be back okay yeah um rtfq nelly and if if no one's ever heard me say rtfq i've said it probably a few times never elaborated um i'm have to put an extra tag on this podcast because rtfq is read the fucking question which um obviously we just covered the first part of that question can being in a marriage with a narcissist feel like an extended period of grieving well yes for the reasons assigned briefly but i do encourage you to go onto the google machine um, and look up the seven stages of grief as i say and try and parlay that into where you are right now with your narcissist and the second part then so does it is it an extended period of grieving because they always um threaten to leave you and you always feel heartbroken well that is slightly different in that what that does is it really informs the trauma bond um because you're an empathy-filled person and because you're codependent, which is really what a narcissist targets, there's, there's no getting around that, and how they target you. So if you don't know already, and this is the first time you've listened to it, um, you might be familiar with terms like love bombing, the, the basics, love bombing, validation. Um, so essentially the narcissist presents you, presents to you as your perfect mate, your perfect partner. Everything you've done in your life that you can hold yourself accountable for in your own eyes, 
and share with them is validated. It's the no way was that your fault moments when you know you can sit there and hold your own and say, well, actually, it was my fault. And they take that away from you. They take away your power in that moment. And they continually do that because why? Well, they're just validating you to validate them, to validate themselves, to validate themselves. So they're covering their own their own cyclical relationships and their own dramas in life by by giving you confirmation that everything you've done wrong in their eyes is actually all right, even though you can hold yourself accountable for. And then they obviously weaponize that later on against you. And so then when you come to a marriage uh, or any relationship really with a narcissist and they threaten to leave you, they don't just threaten to leave you, do they? They threaten to leave you with all the um, disvalidation that you've endured. So all your guilts and secrets that you've shared, all your pain and suffering that they validated and comforted and honoured you with and the love bombing and, and all the good gooey stuff they give to us that, that makes our codependent ego thrive, well, they then simply weaponize that against you and then threaten to leave you. And what are you then looking for? Well, you don't want them to leave because they're giving you exactly what you need because you're in your codependent state. You need that nurturing. Much like the narcissist needs you to give them high praise or, um, or the trifecta, as I call it, the more money, more love and more sex trio. Um, you, and this might be a bitter pill to swallow, but you need them. You need them to validate you because it's probably the first time anyone's ever done that, even if you have held yourself accountable for your, for your ails and, and your guilts and, your, and the things you can perceive you've done wrong in your life. So then that's just another avenue that, that literally informs the trauma bond that to and fro in, the pushing and pulling, I'm leaving, please don't leave, let me massage your ego more, don't leave, I need you. This is you know, the codependent side. And that's, that's fuel. And let's not forget, narcissists like fuel, be that negative or positive. Naturally, like any human, they're going to thrive on the positive fuel. But also, curiously, narcissists thrive on the negative fuel, because that is just simply attention. And they can still get more money, more love and more sex from those manipulations and fuel is fuel, but it opens doors for them to, to abuse further. So, does it feel like an extended period of grieving? Yes, research the grieving side of life, the seven state, or death rather, the seven stages. Understand that it's not quite the same because, well, that person isn't dead um, and they keep coming back. So it's like losing your dear granny over and over again. But the processes of the grief stages of grief are exactly the same as coming out of a narcissistic relationship. And is that because they always threaten to leave you and you always feel heartbroken? Well, yes. But ask yourself one question. You're feeling heartbroken over someone that's continually threatening to leave you. If they're continually threatening to leave you, why is your heart breaking? Answers on a postcard and we'll leave it there. Okay, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed my pathetic jingles. Um, so, the second question. The covert narcissist I was involved with discarded me with zero notice right before I was supposed to have major surgery. Has this happened to anyone else? Um, yes. It, well, hadn't happened to me, personally, but I know for a fact it's happened to many contacts I've had um, 
over the last couple of years and you should self-reflect them and try and understand why that is rather than rather than it's one thing having a having a, a cohesive global understanding of who they are and how they approach life because they do do the same things the world over whether that's in India, New Zealand, Australia, North America, South America. And I've dealt, personally, I've dealt with people from all uh, Europe, obviously, as well. I've dealt with people from all those locations. And the one thing that's really obvious is that the means and ways of a narcissist are pretty much the same the world over. Because um, a broken child or an adult in the rest of development as a broken child is a broken child. Right. So... Your narcissist discarded you with zero notice right before you were supposed to have major surgery. To understand the answer to this question, you've got to, or yeah, you've got to understand better the means and ways of that narcissist. So I would, I would hazard a guess that you're either one of two things. You're either a woman, um, a trophy partner, and therefore when you're about to have major surgery for whatever that may be, and I hope hope you're well following it, um, you might find that you're then, and this is, this is harsh to say, but this is the reality of dealing with them, is that you're useless then to them. Um, you can't provide them with what they want. You can't be the trophy wife if you've just had your leg amputated or you know, facial reconstruction surgery or whatnot. And that, that's the mindset that they're in. And if, you, if you're male, and then a, a financial provider, more money, more love, more sex, and then you go ahead and have major surgery, yes, they're gonna, the covert female is, is 100% gonna, gonna walk out on you. Um, and it's the same reasons, because you're useless to them. And above and beyond all that, whether you're male or female, they don't care. They have no empathy and how do you think that's going to wash with them when you've just had major surgery for whatever reason or about to and they're then sat completely frozen with fear their emotional intelligence is out the window because they are a, a child when emotionally challenged and dealing and managing a loved one who's who's had major surgery who's in pain who's recovering rehabilitating is emotional it's it hurts to see somebody that you perceive or supposedly love in pain and then you have a narcissist who really feels nothing bar you either love me or you hate me and so where do you think love me or hate me fits into their version or your version of unconditional love and that's that's theirs so covert narcissists involved with discarded me zero notice that's cold i know right before i was supposed to have major surgery has this happened to anyone else it definitely, definitely has. It's been referenced a few times as well on Quora. And it's a construct of them just very literally, it's not a metaphor, but very literally not having the emotional intelligence to care. They give literally no shits for the people around them. That would often take a bullet for them. Let's be honest. I hope that helps. Next, right, just a recap, in the woods, in D3, 
deepest Somerset. It's a sunny, glorious afternoon, surrounded by nature, trees, harmony, lots of synchronicities. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. And so the next question is, how can you please someone when that someone is so many people? And that's the answer also. You can't. How can you? Or can you? Have you got the emotional, the emotional intellect yourself to manage so many different masks? Let's think about the narcissist for a moment. So I can only, I can only reference my own experience and I know, it, I know for a fact it translates uh, to, to most people as a, as a similar experience, especially when dealing with a covert female. So mine was, um, shall we say, in work, she was the grey man. And by grey man, I mean she, she worked um, as, a, as a sort of solicitor. She was very much head down um, grey man. Just, you know, I don't want any bother. Don't want anyone to bother me. Just want to just go in, do my work and come home. Um, and then around her friends, she was the ever so unlucky in love princess because all the blokes she's ever been with were, were rubbish and they treated her like shit which, you know, kind of is not the real case, as I know, because I spoke to some of them. But let me know with the covert that it's all about them. Um, and then in relationship dynamics, on the chase perhaps, or on dating, they're the sexy, alluring, seductress. And then at home, with the person that they finally ensnare, they're all of that. They are they're the grey man, and then they are the seductress, and then they are the unlucky love princess by playing the victim status from their, from their repetitive cyclical lives. And then they are also the final mask, which is that, that they're always trying to protect subconsciously of the, of the toddler, um, especially when emotionally challenged. Arrested development, remember, that moral compass forms in us when we're between the ages of four and nine. And if it's not in part of that age, generally, I mean, it should start from birth if you've got a decent parent, parents, um, and then it's informed and ingrained between four and nine. That's when the synaptic endings or all the sticky gooey bits in the brain say, yeah, yeah, this is, this is my construct. This is my personality. This is my moral compass. This is my, who I am. This is what I know is right. This is what I know is wrong. And moving through that then after nine, what you've learned in that period of five years, sometimes six, sometimes maybe even seven years, um, gets reinforced throughout your life so you either become a good person or you become a bad person and that's not to say that bad people can't be good people um, but that's generally you can have aware narcissists that learn or not even aware they just learn cerebral empathy so some doctors I know are very narcissistic because and they they're still a doctor and nurses indeed as well they're still one or the other um, but they have uh, cerebral empathy installed. So they know how to care. They don't feel the caring. Um, so yeah, the answer, the answer there is there. How can you, how can you um, mix in or please someone when that someone is so many people? You just can't. It's, it is literally like spinning. Well, spinning plates would be far, far easier than dealing with somebody who've got, who's got this, multiple personality construct um 
especially when they're dipping in and out of each one when you're in your presence. Um, and again, that's all, all based through fear. You need to stress here, actually. That's not, that's not, I'm not saying that a narcissist has, is schizophrenic in any way, although they, well, yeah, I suppose they could be. But what I have observed is that each mask that they wear weirdly can have a different um a, a different mental health issue attached to that particular mask so by example if they're the unlucky in love princess then they could have anxiety when, or present rather so yeah let's let's dial that back a sec so they're not necessarily suffering from those mental health ailments um, and let's not forget as well, narcissism isn't a mental health issue. It's a personality disorder and any mental health issues that the person really can suffer or does suffer with are, an exact, are, a, are a construct of the narcissism itself. Um, so yeah, they could quite feasibly be sat in the unlucky in love princess or prince, whichever way you, whichever way you dive, and, and have anxiety or even you know, borderline depression from that. Um, but that anxiety and borderline depression in that, with the construct of that mask is worn differently, much like the mask itself. So they play into the victim status and they're quite happy to have anxiety and they're quite happy to have that depression from being so unlucky in love because it gives them what? Yes, fuel. So all their close chums, flying monkeys, cohorts, whichever way you want to steer it or look at it they'll give them the fuel they need by then playing on that mental health construct. Um, and you can cross that over as well into the work thing. Uh, I, that's only just come to me really, that regarding the, the different mental health outputs of a narcissist are slightly subtly different within each mask that they wear in each different dynamic that they hold dear to their hearts. Hmm. So hey, yeah. Can you please someone when that someone is so many people? I think the answer is quite obvious there. No, you can't. It's nigh and impossible. The very best thing you can do is get the hell out of Dodge. And if you can't, go down the Grey Rock method. If you don't know what that is, I'll drop a link in the, uh, in the, in the blurb about this episode to some awesome references for, for Grey Rocking. That is how you please rather deal with someone that is so many people. Anyway, hope this helps. Ciao for now. Be back in a moment. Hello, welcome back to the woods. So, what are the biggest signs that someone has narcissistic personality disorder? Well, there's always a theme, a loose theme, be it, albeit, running through each episode. And this is more about validation than anything else. The theme's not always obvious, I guess. But, so, what are the biggest signs that someone has a narcissistic personality disorder? It's a very commonly asked question. And I would say it's happy denial, really, that leads into validating you, validating them. So a bit of self-reflection then within my own narsal dynamic. I was genuinely lost, as ever really, at the beginning, like, like rock bottom lost. I had PTSD from work, 
a recent devastating broken relationship and a divorce looming. And my life, my own life personally, was mostly smoke and mirrors. And I was literally in perhaps a desperate situation emotionally. Enter Narsal the Lonely Monster to literally consume what was left of my soul, all on the pretense of actually helping me. And usually that would be by finding a way to scream at me for a few days after my fortnightly two-hour session with my PTSD treatment team. Yep, she was that badly controlling that the thought of me sharing with someone other than her drove her bananas to the point of revealing herself, really through projection. So, denial. Right at the start, being broken and her being a love bomb validating machine led me to reveal an awful lot about myself. Too much, really, on reflection, clearly. I was an open book to her alluring ways. I was giving her more love by mirroring more sex as it was, you know, technically okay, like nothing before, really, and eventually I did give her more money. I played into my later identified narsal means of more money, love and sex. I became the trifecta for her because... I didn't listen to her earlier denials of what a failed life she had always had because she often slipped them out really on the day of my sessions when I was in trauma turmoil myself and covered it with, but I'm over that like it never happened. Why can't you be like that now with my help alone? And that was likely just after she told me how her ex-husband used to like to watch him, watch her rather, fuck his mates because he couldn't please her sexually. Yes, twisted. And then my mind twists and turns to being codependent, empathy, saviour complex type, to want to help her, the poor victim. But then it's part like, well, you know, it's just an example really of how strong she is. I'm so lucky I am. Look how she got over that obvious trauma with such ease, like, like when the same guy didn't turn up to her dearly beloved Nana's funeral because of work. Because of work. So then she shagged a stranger and got pregnant. And then her mum said this and they said that and... Oh my gosh, it was so damn awful. But she got over it. And the reason they say they got over it is just so the conversation could be finished with. So really there, even though there's no sarcasm, I hope, well, there probably is or isn't in my voice, but I'm making a sarcastic point to highlight that they always, always reveal who they are. And that is in the moment that we meet them. By telling some version of their life that will plant the seed of them being really a rather strong victim in all respects. Kind of got to look out for it. If you have a chance upon one again, and I hope you don't, they will rope you in with a past drama just enough to make you gasp them and immediately back them up because, well, that's what they do with this. They do the same, don't they, with our trauma first. And it's always first. They then reveal and gauge our responses. So if we boundary build and use our own moral compass to deflect what they say, they'll get scared and run away, I can guarantee it. And that's because we're usually so broken ourselves or still very much codependent we never question the saviour as to how they survive such ordeals because then, when we do ask and we limit their chances of denial, well, that also limits their chances of, of success and luring us in. A real example to hammer at home is, as it's also really a, um, a tidy defence against the dark arts technique. First encounters, WhatsApp telephone calls, for example. So this was three days before meeting for the first time and to... To really lend it gravitas, a full transcript can be in my book, maybe, of the actual messages, which were really total word salads as they do. So here is the praise below for ease. Her, a few messages in. Why are you single? And I, again, I apologise for doing that voice for her. It's just, it's just really gives me, makes me sort of happy, I guess. And then I replied, I'm all broken and too honest to tell her about my ex-girlfriend and my ex-wife's suicide attempt, for which I 
literally saved a life and felt like actually I had a part in it, etc., etc. And her straight away, you know, and we, I know we've all experienced this, but oh, that's nonsense, you're not to blame. And it took me five minutes to read the actual message, which really was all about validating me, me and me. And it felt great. Why did it feel great? Because in that moment, it was what I wanted and needed to hear as much as now I can reflect and understand that it was all, all crazy. So then I'd ask her the same in return. And I know again, we've all done this. And she was so unlucky in love because she had so much love to give that men always found a way to treat her badly. She was married, but it, he had neglected her in every way. She hoped I wouldn't judge her, but she made a terrible mistake that changed her life forever. When she got drunk and met someone, fell from him straight away. And yada, 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 she fell pregnant, yada, yada. What was impressive in that moment was how she coped so well and really got through it all. She'd learned her mistakes and it was all in the past. And here's the takeaway. It wasn't, none of it was. It was all very present and everything kept resurfacing from her past in any way possible. And that was usually done through the usual means and ways of projection and often blame shifting. So in some random way, the most common trait is admission of past trauma with remarkable recovery and their overtly good coping mechanisms, which will literally never be backed up with anything resembling recovery. Because really the tales are never about being a victim, which would have only ever been in their own realities as proven by her and often others later admissions surrounding the same traumas, such as her husband, ex-husband rather, used to watch her shag his friends. And then his non-attendance at grandma's funeral was not, not really a good excuse to fuck another bloke and carry his baby, unless, well, unless you have zero emotional intelligence. So what I'm saying there is that her, her baby she carried with a guy that she had a one night stand with, the reason she had the one night stand was because her husband couldn't make it to a nan's funeral because of work. Yes. So personally, and for others out there, I would have avoided all that if I'd questioned at the start couple of things. One, do I want to be involved with someone that can excuse on a whim having another man's baby in that, in that sort of circumstance? And B, or two, <laughs> do I want to be involved with someone that can have sex with a man whilst her husband watches and excuse that? Because then I would have been acknowledging and accepting my own boundaries. Instead, I let them be eroded and discarded. And then the trap is laid and set and you fall into it. You see, the tells are often incredibly obvious at a point as a narcissist literally can't wait to hit you with those little details to test the water before the big reveals. And then if they've trained you well enough and you give them a pass on, current, on a current thing because of their portrayed pass um, and because they've forgotten it, forgiven rather as our past, then you're either bizarrely discarded as you're now boring or they've spent all your cash, cash or you finally catch them in some nefarious act. Their personality is, after all, completely disordered and very much operating on a different subset of social rules and norms to you or I. So, what are the biggest signs that someone has a narcissistic personality disorder? Now, I'd say your intuition, your gut feeling, your narc die if you've got one. But there's often many, many tells. If you go back to season one, episode two or three, it's all laid out there. Hope that helps. Take it easy. It's the music to play us out.